Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler. In 1996, the city of Atlanta hosted the Summer Olympic Games, and it was an incredible source of pride for the city of Atlanta and the southeastern United States. But one of the things that Summer Games is most known for is the bombing in Centennial Park when a domestic terrorist planted a bomb and disrupted the games. That's recently been revisited by a movie by Clint Eastwood called Richard Jewell and a series on Netflix. Looking back at that moment, the ensuing manhunts and the false accusation against who was really the hero of that day, this man named Richard Jewell. Miles away from there in Atlanta was a seven-year-old boy named Darius Gilchrist. And he woke up that evening to find out that his father, who was at the Olympic Centennial Park, uh, was in the middle of all of this. Uh, I talked with Darius uh, on the podcast this week. Darius is a host of the Game Day Tea on the Outsports Podcast Network uh, every Tuesday. And we relive that moment and the the hour of terror that this young boy went through wondering if his father was going to make it home alive. Anyhow, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Darius. Darius, thank you again so much for joining me. And I, I hate to bring us back to what may be some troubling memories, but I've been long fascinated by what happened in Atlanta uh, that night and, and the, the weeks and months later. Uh, and you were there. Uh, take us back to that night of the Olympic bombing. All right. So are you all ready for this? Seven-year-old me, the year's 1996, and uh, prior to that, in 1990, Atlanta is picked for to host the Olympics. And I see Atlanta go through a change. I didn't quite really know what was going on. I knew of the Olympics, but to see all the new buildings being built and the Olympic Stadium being built, which was Turner Field and now it's Georgia State University State Football Stadium, and just seeing the hype and excitement around the Olympics, so it really had the whole city on fire. I guess you could say Hotlanta, as they call it. <laughs> um, but specifically that night at the Olympics, my father, who was a part of Victory Baptist Church at the time, they had a concession stand at Centennial Olympic Park the night of the bombing, and yes, my father was there. And he was so excited. My dad just, Olympics, he's there. He loves it. And I remember it being very, very late, past 12 o'clock at night, and my mom gets a phone call. And so she's like, what is going on? Maybe my dad is just letting my mom know that he's just coming home. And he says, there's been a bombing at Centennial Olympic Park. I'm fine. However, try telling that to a woman with two kids at home. <laughs> and not to be funny, but I mean, just like it's the magnitude of it. Like he was there. And from my dad's account, this is what he told me. He is about 12 o'clock a.m. 
and he was about around the center of the park he heard what he described as firecrackers so he didn't really think anything of it and the next thing you know he just sees a mass people running hysteria exiting the park and he said it, it didn't sound like cheers for the concert because you know there was a concert going on at the time it turned into let me out let me out i want to get out i guess because the big uh crowd build up blocking the exits and too many people going through an exit you know same thing with blood pressure that bad things are going to happen and uh so he he finally got out and made it to a payphone and he called my mom that's when he made that that message and i just remember my mom just so nervous turning on the tv watching it watching it wondering what's going on what's going on because we didn't know uh if it, it was a terrorist attack on the train system, because my dad took Marta, the local transit station down there, to Centennial Olympic Park. So she didn't know they were going to start targeting people in the crowd with guns or the, the Marta station and people shooting on the Marta station or bombs on the Marta station. So it was a very hectic time. And my seven-year-old self was just looking at my mom like, what is going on? And but then when she turned on the news, I'm like, oh, my God, where's dad? Where's dad? Where's dad? Where's dad? Where's dad? Where's dad? <laughs> it is uh, it's very gut-wrenching. Uh, anybody that had to experience a situation like that, the knowing of the unknown is really, is really scary, especially with a type of terroristic uh, situation. And uh, my dad, he, he, he said he was just awestruck. He just said, why Atlanta? You know, where any city in the United States, they, the Olympic Committee picked Atlanta, and now this happened. It, it, I, I that, that night that night Darius you're seven years old this happens around midnight how did you find out about this did you hear the phone ring I did not hear the phone ring but I heard the tv on so that's what made me uh say what what's going on I hear I hear my mom talking on the phone as she's watching the news so I'm just sitting down and all you see is just you know police cars and sirens and I'm like now I know dad was supposed to be there what's going on and of course I'm trying to find out information <laughs> yeah I, I gotta laugh imagine. I gotta laugh with you know black moms from the south sit, sit down now sit down sit down I'm, try, I'm trying I'm on the phone I'm trying it's important very important right now <laughs> I don't know what's really going on. I don't know if dad's okay or whatnot, but um, yeah, it was very interesting not knowing if your dad was safe or not, but she uh, she handled it and she she got it under control. I got to give it up to her because I, I, knowing me, I probably would have freaked out, was freaking out. <laughs> well, I imagine when you first woke up, you must have been freaking out. You, you knew that your dad was down there. You, you wake up to television, there are sirens and flashing lights everywhere, mobs running around, and probably talk of the word explosion in the Olympics. Yes. Uh, when I, being that young, when you see sirens and fire trucks and all that, you're thinking fire, like what's going like or danger. You know, I have a story. I was about five years old and we were in, uh, teaching about fire safety in, was it kindergarten or so? And I remember they said, if you ever see a fire at home, you need to call 911 or tell your parents. I was sitting down at the, no later than two weeks, Sid, I was sitting down at the kitchen table, eat my little frosted flakes and the toaster catches on fire and starts having the cabinets on fire. And so I'm going and howling hard, fire, fire, fire. So I'm now I'm seven years old. I'm traumatized by that event. 
you know, our house didn't burn down, but it burned up our kitchen pretty good. And so what I'm thinking is seven years old, seeing all this stuff on the TV and know your dad's there. What do you, what do you think I'm thinking? Like, oh, oh, snap. This is something bad is going on. So it was very, very kind of traumatizing for me. Your mom had talked to your dad. I get it was a call from him that notified her of this. Even though she had talked to him, could you still sense a, a, a some concern and worry in her voice yes that that uh she's oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh how did this happen how did this happen how did this happen and uh he he when he hung up with her uh, on the phone but it just from her hearing her voice on the phone and off the phone it didn't change the worry and you i never want to see that on my mom's face ever again you know said so just just looking at somebody just and as a seven-year-old, what are you thinking? If the people who you look up to look worried and afraid and sound afraid on the phone, um, it, uh, I just felt felt for her because you know, that's her husband. Forget me, but you know that's her husband. Well, I obviously these two incidents are completely different, but I remember on September eleventh, two thousand one, being woken up by a phone call from my brother. And of course, we know today what happened that day. But as you hear about planes hitting here and hitting there, you don't know when it's going to stop. And I can imagine that even though your mom had heard from your dad and he was fine, to your point, you did not know it was Marta being attacked. Was this one of 10 bombs? What, what was going to happen? So even though he had called her to calm her, I, I can imagine that you were both wondering when, when is it going to stop? Yes, and it was the longest, the longest, uh, usually from where we lived in Decatur, Georgia at that time. So that shouldn't be no longer than about a 30 minute tops martyr ride back to the Kensington station, martyr station. And you hop on and get, we live in Snapfinger road, but, uh, that it seemed like forever said, just, just knowing that I believe it took him at least north to hour just to get home. So many people running around trying to get on the, oh my gosh. I just remember sitting there, just sitting there, sitting there, waiting, 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 not knowing what's going to happen next. And according to my dad, he he said there was some there was a bomb bombing in Tokyo on the trains earlier uh, that year or close to that year. And so that's all he, he could think about, too, is just sitting on that train is like, OK, is my train going to blow up? What time did he end up getting home that night? Oh my gosh, it had to be at least about one thirty, closer to two o'clock. And and you know, you mentioned the Kensington Marta station. To, to to this point, there were a couple of days later a couple of kids um, arrested uh, or, or detained at that very Marta station that your dad was going to. So it's easy to look back now and say, oh well, he survived the first bomb there wasn't a problem because there wasn't a second bomb but in that moment you have no idea what's coming you don't you don't you don't um and uh knowing looking back at it Sid, especially the netflix documentary about the the manhunt about the reenactments of what actually happened and realizing how dangerous this man is what well, was 
I mean, if I would have known that, if he, my dad would have known that, I, mean, I would have been crapping bricks even more. I mean, this was a dangerous man. We didn't, at the time, we didn't know if it was a team, right? We didn't know if it was a one person. Heck, my dad thought it was a firecrackers until somebody said it was no, it was a bomb. But it's like this, this could have really, really went south really bad. For those of you who weren't alive in 1996, uh, we didn't have cell phones then. And it wasn't like you could continue texting your family. Once your dad hung up that phone and he's on his way home, you have no way of knowing where he is, what his situation is, and what was that hour and a half like? What were you and your mom doing during that time? CNN, local news channel, just nonstop it's our the only way i can relate to it is like you said 9 11 i was in spanish class when that happened 2001 eyes were glued to the tv no no moving pacing mom mom pacing around still kind of by the phone just to see if he would call or anything but just the look on at the tv screen big starry eye just that's all your attention there is are we going to get a next update saying we have to turn to breaking news. There's reports that on the Marta station, yada, 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 there's a bomb, you know? Yeah. So just imagine just for you thinking, uh, listening out there, just imagine just the longest wait of your life, waiting for the love of your life to come home for a whole hour, hour and a half and not knowing whether they're gonna be okay or not. And yes, no cell phones. <laughs> what happened when your dad walked through the door? Oh gosh, there's big, big 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 hug and just like he was just but my, my dad is so calming he didn't freak out he didn't look shook or anything sit just calm i'm okay i'm okay we're all right he actually told me to go to bed <laughs> and i mean i just like i and i really marvel at that looking back at it you know because i I probably came in the house. Oh, oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! No, he was just very calm. They sat down, watched watched the news. Um, I I don't remember past that. It was really sleepy, so I I fell asleep once he got home. But um, yeah, it was just nice to see him and just that calm demeanor that he had. The next day, waking up, Atlanta is the country is shaken by what is at that point some kind of terrorist attack. We don't know from whom or what the purpose is. Did you go to school the next day? What was it like at school? Were you, was this all your friends talked about? You know, it's, it was what the teachers were talking about, you know, and the kids, we kind of had an understanding of, of what was going on. And, but um, I, I think I was at some type of camp as well. But it's, I just remember my parents just talking about it. My dad, if anybody gets a chance to meet <laughs> meet my dad, he can talk, 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 Sid. He will talk your ear off. Um, but it, he has a million people in his contacts list and just going on talking, 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 talking. And to be honest with you, Sid, it was like, all right, that happened last night. Okay, where's the fun? You know, which is really, which is really strange as a kid, you know, but now that I think about it, like how serious it is, I, I, I don't think I would have expected me to think that way, but no, it was just like, all right, that happened. Can I go play with my friends? <laughs> well, you know, I, I guess that's probably, you know, expected. You're scared. 
dad comes home. He tells you it's fine. Tells you to go to bed. And I can understand at seven years old the next day, you're probably not glued to CNN as a seven-year-old on a daily basis. And you, yeah, you want to go kick around a soccer ball or go just go play tag or something. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, it's until it happens to you type of moment, you know, until your loved one wasn't, uh, didn't come back from that park, you know, it, you probably cared about it, but, uh, you know, you probably went about your day and especially being a child, it's just like another day was my chicken nuggets, mom. I'm, I want my chicken nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what you, that was your thing. Huh? When you were a kid, that, that was, that was, <laughs> um, in the again, you were only seven, so it may be tough to remember. Um, but I also know you talked to your mom and your dad. What what was it like being in Atlanta those following days? I mean, again, you're you're just looking to run around, but do you remember um, the tone and the tenor changing? And I personally do not, but I can tell you what my dad uh, said. Yeah. We, we talked about it um, in preparation for this podcast, and he said. Atlanta was embarrassed. Embarrassed is like you have the whole world watching you and this happens. And um, like, because you, you put so many lives at, at, at risk and um, they didn't know who did it, which was even worse, which made it even more embarrassing. They didn't know why at first. It's just, okay, a whole bunch of people from all over the world are injured and hurt inside of the park in Atlanta. And we prided ourselves so much on just how beautiful Centennial Olympic Park was. It, it's, it's It was just a shame. And my dad said the games halted um, They it's for a little bit. And it's just it was just talk of the town and just all the joy from everything being built in Atlanta just turned into like WTF. Well, in the, in the Netflix, series they definitely portray the mayor uh as focusing on that very thing as as being embarrassed and trying to save face because looked like bill campbell was uh, was the mayor's name and looked looked to the rest of the world or he felt looked to the rest of the world like like uh yeah he just he had not done his job to to prepare the city and it sounds like that was actually the sentiment that that your dad shared yeah and it's like for why would he feel well my dad is an atlantan through and through but just for him to personally feel embarrassed too you know being there is like sorry world we let you down um and you would you wouldn't think outside some people wouldn't think outside from looking in that why why would you feel embarrassed over the olympics but as you know said the olympics are huge it's huge. It means a lot to a lot of people, not just the athletes training for their whole lives, but it brings so much revenue to the city. It can change communities, so much growth, jobs, opportunities. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was going to be embarrassing. And uh, I guess it kind of tarnished the Atlanta Olympics, if you will. What do you think about that? Well, I was an adult at the time. I'm a bit older than you and a big Olympics fan. I don't know is it tarnished the Olympics. It's it'll forever be maybe the most memorable part of that Olympics, but Mm -hmm. it's what I understand is that for a city like Atlanta, this isn't Los Angeles, Paris, Berlin, 
Tokyo, right? These are these are legendary, massive cities, mm-hmm. and for a, a, a smaller city like Atlanta to get the Olympics and host the Olympics, I know in Los Angeles is hosting the Olympics in 2028, and and, and people here already taking some sense of pride in it. Politicians are are wrapping themselves around it. I can only imagine being uh, the mayor of that city. The, the, at the time, rare black mayor of that city, mm-hmm. uh, have, hosting this thing, wrapping himself around the Olympics, and then for that to blow up in his face. And again, if you watch the documentary series or the um, Netflix series or the Richard Jewell film by Clint Eastwood, it also shows that the American government, FBI, they were embarrassed. The, 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 the Department of Justice was embarrassed that, that, that this happened under their watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think everybody was looking for some scapegoat. And when Richard Jewell, uh, when they you know started to investigate Richard Jewell, the media had its story, the media had its scapegoat. And watching those shows, I just feel so badly for this man, Richard Jewell, who found that bomb and his reputation was absolutely destroyed. The world thought he had attacked the Olympics. And in fact, he was the hero. Yep. I, I, that's, that just moved me how um, he got canceled in, in, in today's society, he got what you were calling, what we were calling now canceled. And it wasn't even his fault. It was just like, Oh, we don't think we think you did this. So we're going to cancel you. Uh, just people showing up to his houses, the threats. I mean, I, I love pizza. So that part of the Netflix documentary where the pizza man came to the front his front door and <laughs> intentionally dropped the pizza on the ground, that hurt me. <laughs> so <laughs> that's my favorite food. I couldn't even believe they destroyed a pizza like that. But um, <laughs> yeah, I can't even just imagine what, what he felt like. And um, just to be have the whole country world just pointing to you and thinking that you did this horrific crime. And it's such a reminder, we, a lot, people complain about having to go through TSA or we complain about different security measures that we have to deal with metal detectors. But when you don't do those things at events like this, and this was not the first time something like this had happened at the Olympic games in 1972, there were kidnappings, um, uh, of athletes, uh, the, the Munich Games, uh, and, and there have been other uh, attempts to to terrorize the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And you know, it 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 makes me um, it reminds me how important these measures are, even if they uh, are kind of a pain in the neck from time to time. But I'll go through a thousand metal detectors if it means that bomb doesn't get set off in Olympic Park. Yes. Yes, I, I totally agree with that. Um, it and it was just funny, I guess not funny, but the, just seeing at the Capitol House, some, some people uh, didn't want to go through the metal detectors after something just horrifically just happened there a, the day before. It's just like, come on, like, let's let's be let's let's be safe, you know, and, and if it means I'm a big raver, Sid, I loved going to EDC Las Vegas. I like going to Tomorrowland and Belgium, boom, Belgium. And if it means going through 10 of those things just to go have my raves back again, I will to make it safe. So I, I have no problems with that at all. Well, I guess completely separate, but uh 
raves versus circuit parties <laughs> what because you said you know you talk to a lot of gay guys and they talk about circuit parties but you mentioned raves yeah um, and of course you have to go through probably 18 levels of security there um mm -hmm. what what is it are circuit parties of interest to you or is it just raves and, and what the heck's the difference uh, so i have never been to a circuit party and um i guess that's i don't uh well I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, but heavily in the African American community. I'm African American, if you uh, don't know, but um, just the gay scene there, we don't do circuit parties like that. You know, it's more, uh, in my viewpoint, growing up in, uh, and as a teenager and as a early my early twenties, it was more Caucasians that went to a circuit party. So I have never been to one because uh, my friends never been to one, and I've never been exposed to that. I got out here in California, and I'm getting I see a flyer left and right going downtown San Francisco, and it's like coming. Everybody's in half naked, and got some some parties have like a. <laughs> the harness is on and you gotta check your all your clothes at the door or some type of circuit parties and so th in that case like for right different from raves it's like we can you can still be yourself um edm music is played there uh it's it's really cool uh the communities are similar where we feel like we can escape our regular days and uh just enjoy ourselves amongst people who are there for the same reasons so that's how I would say it's similar, but differently, uh, I don't think there's a, some of that little hanky panky that goes on at some of the circuit circuit party. <laughs> I've seen a few EDM uh, groups perform above and beyond. Oh, my favorite, they are my favorite groups. Ed. Really? Yes. They were. They performed. I, the The last major event I went to was the Atlantis Cruise. It was actually a year ago. A year ago, right now, and they were. Um, one of the headliner performances, um, and they attracted quite the crowd. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, if you ever, uh, if, for those who are all listening, uh, type in, you go YouTube, EDC Vegas, doesn't matter, pick a year from now on, from, let's say, the year, last year I went was 2018. Type in that trailer and you're just, it's wild. You can dress however you want it to. If I, as a grown man, want to wear a thong and no shirt on and some bunny little <laughs> feet covers, I can if I want to, and nobody will bat an eye. I love it. It's just a freedom and we're all there for, you can like house music, you can like bass, bass type of music, trance music, all types of electronic music. Um, it's It's amazing. Sold. <laughs> yes. It started in Los Angeles, by the way, and then it got so big that they, um, well, a lot of, well, that's for another podcast, but <laughs> a lot of things happen. Um, getting back to the Atlanta Olympic bomb. <laughs> no, so talking about fun things, though, Sid, the, just like the, there's a bronze monument located in uh, Atlanta. And it's it's downtown, and it's a woman holding a phoenix. And what I like about that is it represents that even from well, we just got Atlanta burnt down. You know, everybody knows that story in the Civil War. We Atlanta rose again in the Olympics. We said, okay, we'll pause games for a little bit, but like the Phoenix, we will rise. We will continue these Olympic games, and we will not be deterred from have having these uh, competitions and uh, sports games played in the Olympics. And I, and I just love that they didn't cancel it and went about their business. 
Yeah, well, I guess, you know, it's one of the great lessons of, of, of sports in general is that you're going you're gonna to take your lumps, but you got to keep going. You're going to, you know, mm-hmm. it, and, and of course it was, you know, I can, I can imagine uh, the conversations about canceling events and what have you that were going on, but you're absolutely right. The city persevered, the Olympics persevered, and I uh, just got to hope that never happens again. Yes. Uh, I, and I really wanted to, my friends and I were planning uh, to go to Japan for the Olympics and then COVID hit. And so we were like, okay, all those plans are shot to hell. So what do we do now? And like, we're, we still don't really feel comfortable, you know, going. And it's like, man, I wish just things can get back to normal so fast because I was so excited to finally check out some uh, events that, as we talked about this earlier, sit off off uh, air, but the pre the opening ceremony to me is just the most beautiful, well planned spectacle in all of everything. In my opinion, I don't think I've never seen anything like it. The amount of int- intricacy that goes into planning and the performers, I, I, that's what I was looking forward to the most with the Japan Olympics. It's just seeing how well they're going to, who are they, what music stars are going to come. Uh, I was hoping for Beyonce because I'm a Beyonce stan, but um, <laughs> I just I, I I missed that, and hopefully I get a chance to to see one of those. Have you ever seen a Olympic opening before? I've- I've never been to an Olympic games. I was also in the back of my mind, hoping for Tokyo. That's not going to happen. I don't want to go to Beijing in 2022. Winter games just don't, I don't know. Winter just doesn't sound good to me. (laughs) Um, I'm going to skip winter, (laughs) but you know, Paris 2024. I don't know if you've ever been to Paris. It's it's a great spot to be. And then you've got LA in 2028. So you got two great opportunities. And I imagine that both of those, both of those opening ceremonies, my guesses, will be uh, pretty spectacular. Right, and I can't wait to check those out. And hopefully the security is spectacular as well. Um, <laughs> I don't want to go do that again. But Darius, thank you so much for taking the time and and giving us kind of what it, what it was like there to experience that. Um, and I'm just glad that you and your family are safe. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, I appreciate telling that story and it will always be with me and in my mind. And uh, Sid, I'm just going to throw this in here really right quickly. Um, I want you, I'm giving you a little homework, okay? Because I want to really want, I really want to hear it. I want you to find somebody that uh, was an athlete in the hotels of the, <laughs> of the Olympics. Because I hear some pretty interesting stories go and things happen down and i want to hear those stories what really goes down in the olympic hotel so you mean you mean where the athletes are oh yes well you know what goes on <laughs> well, what goes on from from what i know is from what i've been told <laughs> athletes are very very serious they are they are for the most part they are not there to mess around um until their events are over and yeah that's amini fonwa who was a swimmer in rio he swam for tonga and his event, he was there for one event. It was the first day. It was the first Saturday. <laughs> and then his country didn't fly him home. They, they left, kept him there. And he, he was free to do whatever he wanted uh, for the rest of the time. <laughs> so, you know, they, 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 
they find holiday husbands and wives. They go see friends compete, um, and and they have a blast, from what I'm told. <laughs> there we go. All right. So <laughs> that that's that's really fascinates me. So uh, if you have any of the future, I'll be looking at for that that as well. I I will be sure to ask the next couple Olympians I talk to about their most tawdry tales. Thank you. <laughs> You can find Darius Gilchrist and The Game Day Tea on both Twitter and Instagram at The Game Day Tea. And again, be sure to check out his podcast uh, every Tuesday on the Outsports Podcast Network. Next week, I've got a really cool conversation with a former Team USA athlete who's never talked to the media about being gay. Uh, we talk about the struggles that he experienced, the support that he found, uh, and why he walked away from the sport years ago. Anyhow, come on back next week. And in the meantime, I hope you have a fantastic week. <laughs>